Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Aspire listeners, I am so excited. I'm, I'm geeking out right now because I have the amazing opportunity to speak with someone I admire and who's doing some fantastic work through social media, through her business, which is one tick at a time, and someone who's also on the Teach Better Speaking Network. It is my pleasure and my honor to introduce Brittany Wolf. Brittany, thank you so much for being on the Aspire podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Very humbling as your introduction for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well well-deserved, Brittany. You're doing fantastic things, and I am so excited to actually have a conversation and, and to speak with you this evening. So, Thank you again. But before we begin on a very important topic, I would love to learn just a little bit more about you and what you're doing in the world of education. Yeah. So my connection with Teach Better and everything is my life with Tourette syndrome. I was diagnosed with this disorder when I was about seven years old. I started showing signs of it, ticks, if you will, when I was about five or six from what my mom tells me. I don't remember a ton about that time in my life. But, you know, I grew up not knowing a lot about this disorder that was placed upon me as a child. There wasn't social media. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of information about it. There was one neurologist in my area that we were lucky to be close to. So my mom and I and my, my dad, my family, we had to do a lot of this research all on our own. We had to figure out what this thing was that was, you know, taking over my body because a lot of people they're under the impression that all it is, is people swearing. And it's just this really hilarious thing to laugh at. You know, it's that punchline in the movies and people don't understand that. Although that part's real, a lot of us don't have that part, myself included. Mm -hmm. And then what people also don't realize on the other side of that is that those people that do have it, it, it's a struggle. It's hard. Like they get ridiculed in public. They get filmed in public and kicked out of places because They want to laugh at it when they see it on a movie, but then when it's staring them in the face, they no longer want to believe that. And when I was growing up, you know, my mom, she just, my, both my parents, they ingrained in me, like, you know, like this isn't anything that's going to ever hold you back or anything. It was never that topic. I never saw concern or anything. And I just knew from a young age, like if, if nobody else is going to talk about this, then I'm going to talk about it because I want people to understand like why I do these things with my body. And I might not, I might not do them all the time, but they're going to happen and they're going to happen out of nowhere. And I'm proud of who I am. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not ashamed of having Tourette syndrome. Sometimes it might get a little embarrassing and hard to deal with, but I started learning about it. And then I started writing papers about it in school. And then I started giving reports on it in school. Cause it was a way for me to tell my classmates and my teachers all in the same spot. I told myself, and I still tell myself like, get to them before they get to you. Because if I put myself out there and say, Hey, look, this is what I have. This is why you're going to see it. At least then anyways, they weren't as quick to make those jokes or laugh. And in my head, if somebody was still going to make fun of me for it, then they had bigger problems than I did because mm-hmm. I can't help it. And I know that. It just, from there, it kind of took off once social media started, I figured out that I could advocate so much more and I could make sure no other little girl or little kid would grow up wondering why nobody was like them. Like I did, like, I didn't know anybody like me and as supportive of a family I had and my friends, and I was very, very blessed. I still am. 
it still gets lonely, especially as a child wondering like why you're the only one that can't stop moving. Like, why am I the only one in my family that has no control over their body? Like, I don't know anybody like this. And I just don't want ever want anybody to ever feel like that again. I want them to know that somebody out there is fighting to be taken seriously and that there's just somebody like them out there. And it just kind of grew and took off and turned into a passion project from there. So I want to know as far as like what you were talking about as a six and seven year old child, what did that look like that your parents decided, okay, there might be something that we need to search and look into um, to see what is going on? Because what I'm thinking of is like myself, the thing that I love about what your content is, is it's educational. And so like I learn Mm -hmm. from your videos and the content that you put on social media, but for our educators that are listening, what are some um, possible triggers that are happening that uh, maybe is an indicator that a student might have Tourette's in them? It could be a lot of different things. It could be a range. For me, um, it started with, and for a lot of people it does, it starts with like blinking really hard, sniffing, clearing your throat. And that's what also can lead into problems getting diagnosed because a lot of parents are brushed off telling them like, oh, well, they have seasonal allergies. Like, Mm it'll be fine. Or they tell them it's a nervous tick or something like that. And so I did sniff a lot when I was younger. I always remember my grandma telling me to blow my nose and me (laughs) responding with that. I didn't have to her then saying, well, if you don't have to blow your nose, stop sniffing. (laughs) And my grandma still feels bad about that. 20 plus years later, she still will like grab her head and like, I can't believe I always said that. I'm like, grandma, it's it's fine. It's probably <laughs> annoying, especially if you didn't know what I had. Like I didn't know either. Sure. And uh, I started like flicking my head back, you know, the movements, they generally, they start to, I don't want to necessarily say bigger. Cause again, it's different for every single person, mm-hmm. but my mom started noticing like when I was just like sitting there, like watching TV, like I wasn't sitting still. And it wasn't just a child that wasn't sitting still. Like it was very distinct, like movements, like flicking my head back and clicking. I don't know if she heard the clicking of my tongue then because it's one of my verbal tics um, or I make grunting noises from time to time. And eventually she started putting it together like this. Something's not right. Like this is more than just her, not her being a kid. And she saw a television program that had kids with Tourette syndrome on it. And she's like, this, this is what Brittany has. Like, this is it. And she made that doctor's appointment. And so like, cause it was those situations where I wasn't necessarily in a place to like move around, like watching TV or after school, it got worse because I would be in that classroom and I'd be concentrating so much because I really prided myself on being a good student. So when I came home, my body was on overdrive, like whatever hasn't happened yet was coming out of me. And so those kinds of things, they multiply. And after a year of those symptoms, because generally they want to see them there for a year uh, called motor tics, which are my physical tics and then verbal tics. I don't have a lot of, again, clicking of my tongue, grunting sounds. Every once in a while, I get one where I say things or make noises, but it's it's so rare for me, even as an adult, that it's still frightening for me when I have those loans pop up because I don't have them a lot and I've never had them a lot. But uh, after that year, I got my diagnosis and that's when we, like I said, we kicked everything into overdrive. But yeah, my mom just, she was very aware of her kids. <laughs> that's good that she's in tune with those. Yes. So I've seen a 
couple videos where you talk about simple and complex ticks. And so I'm curious for you to expand on that or maybe even just, you know, simplify it for myself and for the listeners too of what what is a simple tick versus a complex tick? So simple tick is I would start like, for example, I one of my very first ticks I remember is tightening my stomach muscles hmm. and tightening them and then like letting go. As the years gone on, that one has become more and more complex, which it adds body parts now. Like I now not only tick my stomach, I tighten my stomach muscles. My my shoulders will hunch forward and I might start doing it because I'm talking about it. My shoulders will hunch forward. My stomach muscles will tighten. Sometimes my hands flick at the same time. And that's where my grunting noises come in as well. So now it's using my vocals. It's using my shoulders, my hands. It could be my feet at the same time. So now it's grown more complex because it's almost as if my body now needs more. That simple little tightening of my stomach, it's not enough anymore. It needs more out of me. So it just grows and grows. That might not happen to every tick, but it has happened to a lot of them from when I was a child. Interesting. So does it hurt to have a tick? Yes and no. Some ticks don't hurt that much. Like it's generally, I always say the overuse of the muscles. So I'm sore later, either later that day or the next day. Uh, my shoulders get sore. Um, the ones with my shoulders have the tendency to hurt more. One of my most painful ticks now is I have to tilt my head back and it's growing in complexity only because I have to keep going further. And obviously my neck and my head only go back so far. Sure. And so it hurts really bad right through my neck. I get uh, really bad jaw pain. You would think my muscles would be like crazy used to it by now, but uh, that overuse, that's what hurts. And then just occasionally the tick itself, it can absolutely be painful. Sure. Are they like short bursts or is when you say complex, is that like length and time also? Uh, it can definitely be length in time. Yeah, it can add on to it. And the time that it can add on to it too is because the more I do a tick incorrectly, like in the, I know it sounds weird to say, but like my body is wanting this to feel a certain way. Hmm. And if I don't do it right, I'm going to keep doing it over and over and over again in that one moment because my body is not satisfied or my brain is not satisfied with it until I do it right. So then that can grow especially if I'm having to do certain things with my body, different parts of my body, multiple parts of my body at the same time. So it can grow in that spectrum or it can be, it can just be a spurt where like I do it all at once, but then I'm done. Chances are I'll do it again a few moments later, just because that's what it is. No matter how complete it feels for me, it never really is. So you had talked about the misperceptions, you know, through TV and other mediums. So what would you like people to know about Tourette's syndrome that they may have heard from somewhere else um, that you would like to change the perception? Uh, the biggest thing is us not being an excuse or a punchline. And don't get me wrong. I realize everything is on the table these days to like make a joke out of and everything like that. And it's not like me or anybody else in the Tourette's syndrome world doesn't have a sense of humor. It's the fact that Tourette syndrome is always the joke. It's not the representation ever. Like it's not a person who just happens to have Tourette syndrome. No, they have to have that Tourette syndrome where they blurt out something hilarious, quote unquote, and obscene. And so now everybody thinks that's what we either have to do to have Tourette syndrome. You get accused all the time, like, oh, well, you're not swearing, so you don't really have it. Or even if you do swear, you don't really have it. 
So no matter what you do, we're never anybody's perception of what Tourette's syndrome, what they want Tourette's syndrome to be. And that's what I want people to understand is like every single person is different that has Tourette's syndrome. Nobody, we might have similar tics. We might have some of the same tics, but we're different and we lead different lives. And it's not okay that Tourette's syndrome continuously is the okay thing to make fun of. Like there's kids that are depressed and have social anxiety that don't want to go anywhere because they're afraid to go somewhere and adults even. Mm -hmm. There's adults that have lived with Tourette's syndrome their whole lives and they're too embarrassed or scared to say that they have Tourette's syndrome and talk about it because of this perception. It's not taken seriously. And I get that it's not a disease that's going to do something, but I don't know. It just seems like it's the okay thing to make fun of. And it's okay that we don't have representation. Like I went and saw, there was a movie a few years ago called Motherless Brooklyn. It did not get a lot of hype around it, but Edward Norton was in it. And for the first time, he was a character that happened to have Tourette's syndrome. And I was emotional during the whole film because it was finally he wasn't the joke. Yeah, there were some funny lines because of his tics, but it was easier for me to laugh because they, he was still a real person. Right. He wasn't just the joke. He was a very smart person. He was, it was a good movie and it, I feel like it could have been the worst movie in the world and I still would have loved it because it, I saw me on the screen finally yeah. and I didn't have to feel anger coming out of it. Like I was very emotional. It wasn't really an emotional movie to begin with. And so I just want people to understand that that's what we are. We're, we're real people. Like, and we have real feelings and like, it's as positive as I try to be with it. Like, it's still difficult to live with. Like, yeah. like we're human beings when it comes down to it and we want to be treated that way. Yeah. I'm sorry that, that it's taken so long for the proper representation. And I'm so happy and proud of your work and that you're advocating so much for those who have that syndrome. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So I want to know, like living a life, you know, in the syndrome, getting more knowledge on ticks and going through a lot of adversity. What have you learned, you know, throughout your life with the syndrome? Oh my gosh, so much. <laughs> I learned that, well, for one, I'm a lot stronger than I give myself credit for sometimes, even though, depending on the day, if this is a bad tick day, that's probably not what I would said to you. I would have said that I'm a lot weaker than I feel like I am. I just learned that I learned who I was, really. My whole entire life would be different if I didn't have Tourette's syndrome. Mm -hmm. I... As much as there are days where I absolutely hate it, like yesterday I had what's called a tick attack out of nowhere, which is similar to a panic or an anxiety attack where I just start taking in more, kind of like the complex ticks, but it gets very intense and I don't breathe well during it. And it came out of absolutely nowhere. And I started crying afterwards. And in those moments, I hate it. I hate every single thing about it. I don't want it anymore. I want my body back. I want to know what it's like to sit still. And there are other days where I feel like that too. It comes with good and bad days. And I've learned how to focus on getting to those better days and just doing what I need to do to get through the bad ones. Because mm -hmm. in those bad days, it's really hard for me to see that other side. But then those next days I realized like, hey, I, I did it though. Like it was really difficult and it was really hard, but I did it. And 
it just, it gave me so much, I don't know, power to know who I was as a person. Not that my identity is Tourette syndrome, but I am a person with Tourette syndrome. And that gave me the passion, I feel like in a lot of aspects of my life, not even Tourette syndrome. Like I was bound and determined not to let some statistic tell me what I could or couldn't do. That wasn't going to be how it was. Like the doctors told my mom that like, well, don't expect her to do like that well in school. And I'm just like, who are you to, <laughs> I'm seven. Like you can't tell me I'm not allowed to do well in school. I'll show you that I'll do well in school. And I did. And not that it was always easy, but, and it gave me probably a perfectionist complex, but I don't know. It just taught me how to persevere, I guess, and how to stand my ground as well, because I don't put up with people saying those types of things to me. I just, I won't do it. You know, obviously, I'm guessing throughout your education, you've had teachers make mistakes in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some things that you would like educators to use as far as strategies with someone that has Tourette syndrome? And what are some things that you're like, no, please don't ever do that in the classroom? My biggest thing that I try to get across to educators when I'm talking to them at either conferences or speaking engagements is that a little tiny step seriously goes such a long way. And it means so much, not only to the student with Tourette syndrome, but to that family or guardianship, whatever you want to call it, of that student with Tourette syndrome. I had a teacher after writing about Tourette syndrome in one of our journal days. I loved journal writing days. It was my favorite thing in the world. And I would write until the bell sounded. And I wrote about Tourette syndrome. I think I wrote about um, maybe the first day I remember ticking or something. And he called my mom in for a parent-teacher conference just to figure out if he was doing what he needed to do, how he just wanted to ask my mom, like, how he could help me. And that's all he asked. And it meant my mom and me, obviously, we still think about it. We still talk about it. And he was already probably one of my favorite teachers I've ever had. And from that moment on, there was no doubt about it. He was absolutely my favorite teacher because all he wanted to do was learn more about what I had. And that means so much. And the fact that he did it privately, not calling me out in front of the classroom or anything like that, even if he would have just called me up after class, that would have been fine too, if it was just me and him. Because pointing it out in front of the whole classroom, especially the first time is incredibly embarrassing. It's in my mind, that is the teacher becoming the bully at that moment. And I've heard countless stories of that happening of from other people in the Tourette syndrome community with teachers like will stop what they're doing to point out every time a student ticks and the blood that boils in my body when people tell me that, <laughs> because they're setting the example. If the teacher is doing that, they're telling the entire classroom that it's okay for them to do it too. Yeah. So they're make fun of them. That student's not a real person right now, because look at what they're doing. Let's wait for them to stop distracting everybody. It's essentially with one pause, that's what you're telling that student. And the more you make a bigger deal about it, the more the student is going to be triggered to tick because now I'm stressed out. Now I don't feel safe in your classroom. And that makes my ticks ramp up. When I was in that other teacher's classroom, especially after he asked more about it, I felt so safe that I barely ticked at all in his classroom because I knew I could tick in his classroom without getting in trouble. If I had to walk out of the room and ask to go walk around the because every once in a while, it didn't happen a lot, but I'd have to take a lap around the school because it would get bad. I knew what I needed to do. And I just needed my teachers to trust me in that and trust that I wasn't taking advantage of anything. It's just that I knew my body, even at a young age. 
And that was the biggest thing. Like it meant so much to me. Like I wrote about it in my book. I'm making sure he gets a copy and telling him like, make sure you read chapter such and such. And because it made a lasting impression on me. And then on the opposite end, I had an art teacher that told me to sit still in front of the whole class in a very condescending tone. And he didn't know I had Tourette's syndrome, but he made this art class that's supposed to be fun and supposed to be, you know, an enjoyable class. And I already was not good at art. I've accepted that long before this class. I'm not good at drawing. It is what it is. (laughs) It's not an ability I have. And he looked up at me and told me to just sit still. And he made that classroom so uncomfortable for me that I was too afraid to even tell him like, I, I can't. Right. So I forced myself to try and suppress my tics. And then I had a terrible day later because if you suppress, it's coming out eventually. And I remember telling my mom and my mom was very upset, but I asked her to not do anything because I didn't want, it was only like a semester class. I wasn't going to have them for much longer. And, but I, I feel the embarrassment and the scaredness. And even sometimes like the tears welling in my eyes, like, cause I'm in that moment again, when I think about him telling me that it was, he was the first person to ever make me feel ashamed of ticking. And it was in like seventh or eighth grade. Well, as a former art teacher, a little bit of me died in that struggle. I'm just letting you know. So I'm sorry that that occurred because you're right. That should be a very safe space and, and one um, for creativity to, to grow. So, but I think that's very wise words and thank you for sharing those stories because mm-hmm. I think that is going to be helpful for educators that are listening. We're going to pause for just a second as I ask you, the listener, have you ever wondered if you could be a leader in your school or in your district? My book, Aspire to Lead, is available now as I share a practical guide for aspiring leaders to enhance your leadership capacity. As we all know, leadership is extremely difficult, and getting that experience needed to advance can be a huge challenge. In this book, you'll find the Aspire model, which is infused with stories of past failures and successes to guide with actionable steps to enhance your skills. In addition, you'll find fantastic resources and contributions from 11 influential leaders. You can find Aspire Lead on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart. If you have a chance to read the book, please take a moment to leave a review on any of the online platforms that you made your purchase. Now, let's get back to the interview. Well, you you brought it up, and I can't wait to talk about this, uh, your book. You are a writer, and your new book is coming out very, very soon with EduMatch. You are part of the EduMatch family, and I'm so glad that you are in um, your new book, Taking My Way Through Life, is coming out. So will you just share a little bit about this book that I cannot wait to purchase? (laughs) I am getting it day one. I can tell you that right now. Thank you so much. Yes, I am. I think this is probably the most excited about anything I've ever done in my entire life. I knew I wanted to be a writer since I was a little girl. My mom said that I used to copy books. Like I would just literally rewrite books on notebook paper because I just loved like physically writing just that much. And I would write like creative little short stories all the time. Um, well, I say creative. If I read them today, they'd probably be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been working on this book for a really, really long time. And uh, it took me a long time to write it and get out of my head to get it done. I also had a professor in college that was not so nice about my writing. So I stopped for quite a while. Then I got connected with EduMatch Publishing and I had finished my book because I promised myself I was finishing it in 2019. I was not 
allowing myself to do it. I actually finished it on a plane back <laughs> to the U.S. Um, from a vacation. <laughs> yes, right before, months before, just barely made the cusp of it. It's about my life with Tourette syndrome. It's about some of, I go into the more detail about those stories that I told you in school. And I try to give more detail about exactly how I felt with those. I, I talk about my time with in struggle with deciding to take medication and college and my support system. I talk about dating with Tourette syndrome because that's a big fear for a lot of people with Tourette syndrome. And it was for me, like I annoy myself. I never knew how anybody wouldn't get annoyed with me all the time. And all these other things. And I have like some, uh, things at the end of chapters where, uh, it's some reflection pieces for teachers and for employers too, because having a career with Tourette's syndrome is also a scary thing. And so I have some of those reflection pieces. So, you know, anybody that's reading it, that is an educator or an employer, or even in the support system to really rethink and think about what they're doing in their classroom today or in their environment today to make it inclusive and have equity in the room and how you can best just support somebody that has Tourette's syndrome. And I just talk about how it started and how I'm doing it today, I guess. And I'm just, I'm very, very excited. I don't have the actual launch date yet, but I know it's pretty soon. So I am, oh, I'm just so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. So you let me know when that date is and I'll I'll make sure my listeners know and and we'll get that uh, sent out to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so you're doing a lot of things here. So, Brittany, we're going to kind of go through the list of projects because you're killing it. So I want to talk about One Ticket at a Time. That's mm-hmm. kind of your brand, but then you also have Tourette Talk. So um, will you kind of share, you know, all those different things that you're doing with Tourette Talk, what you're doing on social media, and then, of course, you know, what you're speaking and One Ticket at a Time? Yeah, absolutely. So One Ticket at a Time is kind of the brand I came up with for myself because that's kind of – I wanted something kind of clever, but also that – kind of captured the mantra for myself. Like, you know, kind of like you take it one day at a time, but as a person with Tourette syndrome, a day is too much. Taking it one ticket at a time is the easier, (laughs) the easier way to do it. And so that's just kind of how I've always kind of internalized it for myself. So that's what I went with. And I've kind of just branded, I guess you could say myself around that as social media became a thing. And uh, my Tret Talk videos, those are on YouTube. I started doing YouTube with videos of just myself talking about my story about five or I think we're going on six years ago now. And I started realizing that not everybody will connect with my story because my Tourette syndrome life can be, like I said, it can be completely different than somebody else's. I don't look like all the faces of Tourette syndrome and it affects every single person. And so I wanted people to see that it affects different races, ethnicities, uh, the color of your skin does not stop you from having Tourette's syndrome. And that's a big bias right now that people do struggle with as well. And so I wanted to have that representation so that they can share their story. Cause I deserve, I feel that everyone deserves to share their story in, because if I don't, my story doesn't connect with you, this next person I talk to, it might connect with you. Or that little girl sees this Um, young woman that I'm talking to and she looks like her and she does the same tics as she does or the same thing for a little boy or even an adult and I wanted to really encompass that and so I really started leaning my YouTube page towards that and I have a really cool one coming up tomorrow with a young girl uh, and her mom and it's just it's she was just the cutest little thing and I love her to death and I'm very excited to get that mom perspective as well on that podcast because they need help too to 
know if somebody else out there feels what they feel because mm-hmm. I'm not a parent. I have dogs. That's the closest <laughs> I'm going to get. And so I can't give that light onto it. So I really love talking to new people with Tourette syndrome. And it's just, it's fulfilling for me because it's so powerful to hear like, oh, I do that tick too. Or you, you start talking, you're like, do you ever do this thing where blah, blah, blah. And the, they get it like instantly where other people, like you might bring it up and they like, just look at you. Like you gave them an algebra problem or something. And I'm like, yeah, never mind me either. <laughs> so I started doing that and I really love it. And I talk about I have a Facebook page where I talk about my Tourette syndrome and my journey with it and just Tourette syndrome in general. Uh, I've recently joined TikTok. I was very against it for a very long time. And my sister-in-law actually convinced me last year to start. And I got to say it was the right choice because I've been able to reach a lot of people and really broaden my horizons even more in the Tourette syndrome community. Social media has brought me so many people with Tourette syndrome and I barely ever meet anybody in person with it. So it's nice. It's our, our little family mm-hmm. on there. Yeah, TikTok, I probably see more of your, and maybe it's just the algorithm, but I see more on TikTok of your content than I do like even on Instagram or our Facebook, although I know you're in those spaces too. But mm-hmm. um, your video videos are short, clever, gets to the point. I love the fact that you're also bringing in questions from other people um, yes. and answering those. So there's that interaction piece too. And and of course, you're making connections with with the Tourette syndrome community also. So, I want to dive into how people can connect with you on all of those social media outlets. Yeah. So for Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter, I'm trying to use my Twitter more. I don't use it very much. I will be honest with you. I don't always understand Twitter, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying. But so Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter are all one tick at a time, one word. And then Instagram is just underscore Brittany Wolf. And oh, I have my YouTube is YouTube slash Brittany Wolf. And then I also have uh, my speaking website is just BrittanyWolfSpeaks.com. Awesome. So Brittany, this is going to be our closing question. And and I do ask this for all of my guests is for our aspiring leaders, if there's to do something tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey, specifically to the Tourette syndrome community, what, what can they do? learn more, whether that's another advocate and not just from me, please don't just learn about my story with Tourette syndrome because you're not going to get the whole picture by learning mine. I promise you, if you use the hashtag Tourette syndrome on any social media platform, you will find advocates, amazing, incredible advocates everywhere talking and sharing their stories with it or going to the Tourette syndrome association, which is Tourette.org. So much helpful information, especially when it comes to education and just learning more about it in general. Like if you want more of a true background and more scientific, I guess, than I can put it, the Tourette Association is the best, one of the best places that you can go to. But learning more, broadening your horizons about Tourette syndrome is the best thing that you can do for me and the entire Tourette syndrome community. And just correcting people when you hear them making those jokes, I know it's hard and it's uncomfortable, but when you hear people say like something ignorant and say, oh, I must have Tourette's saying like, hey, well, it's actually, that's actually not really what it is. Mm-hmm. Even if you just leave it at that, that's one more person that knows now. And one person at a time, just like my one tick at a time, that's how we get through it. Brittany, you're doing fantastic things. And for my listeners, if you have not connected 
with Brittany. Make sure you're doing that. I'm going to have all of her links in the show notes. Her book is coming out soon. We're going to get that exact date for you, but the title is Ticking My Way Through Life with Edumatch Publishing, and make sure that you pick it up as soon as it comes out. I know I will be, and Brittany, it's an honor to speak with you. It's a joy. I'm so excited for what you're doing and, and what's to come with One Ticket at a Time. So thank you for joining me this evening. Oh, thank you so, so much in all of your kind words. It was, it was an honor to be on the podcast. So thank you so much.